Chapter Three of the Amethyst Cross. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. The Amethyst Cross by Fergus Hume. Chapter Three. Lesbia Hale was small, fragile, and in a degree romantic but in sufficiently strange contrast, her frame was strong and her nature practical. An ordinary girl would have screamed and fainted, or perhaps would have run away. Lesbia did none of these things. She turned pale, it is true, and she trembled violently as she stared with dilated eyes at the bound form of her lover. Then it came upon her with a rush that immediate aid was required, and without even calling for Tim, she set down her candlestick on a convenient chair and knelt beside the unfortunate young man he was certainly in a very bad way but how he came to be in such a plight lesbia with characteristic common sense did not wait to inquire the first thing was to loosen him and revive him with wine then she could ask questions the answers promised to be interesting first she dexterously removed the handkerchief from across his mouth with which George had been gagged in a clumsy manner. This she threw aside, with a passing thought that later she would learn to whom it belonged, and then proceeded to unloosen the knot of the rope with which her lover was bound. There was only one rope and only one knot, and when she had disentangled the somewhat complicated fastening, she unwound the cord which curled round him from his broad shoulders to his ankles. With his arms glued to his sides and his feet pressed closely together, George Walker had been tied up with yards of brand-new manila rope, so that he could not move, and was trussed as stiffly as any fowl prepared for the market. And the person or persons who had bound him thus, to make assurance doubly sure, had struck him a heavy blow on the back of his head. Lesbia discovered this by the half-dry blood which clotted his curly hair. "'What does it all mean?' asked Lesbia, when George was free from his bonds and lying almost as stiffly without them as he had when bound. But the young man did not reply, for the very good reason that he had fainted. At once Lesbia kissed him, and then went to the parlor door to summon Tim. She called loudly, quite heedless of the fact that she might waken her father, who did not approve of young Walker. And even if he did not, it was necessary that he should come to aid the unfortunate man. So while the French clock on the mantelpiece struck a silvery twelve, Lesbia shouted at the full pitch of her healthy young lungs. In a few minutes the alarmed voice of Tim was heard, and by the time she was again kneeling beside George, the dwarf shuffled hurriedly into the dimly lighted room, half-dressed, a candle in one hand and the kitchen poker in the other. "'The saints be betwixt us and harm, Miss Lesbia,' cried Tim, who looked scared out of his senses." "'What's come to you?' "'What's come to George, you mean,' said Lesbia, looking up. "'See, Tim, I heard him call me and came downstairs a few minutes ago to find him bound and wounded. "'Don't stand there shaking and don't chatter. Get the brandy and heat some water. "'He has fainted, and we must bring him to his senses.' "'But how the devil did Master George come here?' demanded Tim, aghast. "'How should I know?' retorted Lesbia impatiently. We can ask him when he is able to speak. Go and do what I tell you while I waken my father. Sure the master isn't in, miss, expostulated Tim, backing towards the door. 
he went out after dinner to spend the night with captain sergeant at cookin and that we should have the bad luck of this while he's away oh miss lesbia wasn't it burglars i was thinking of but never murder save the mark and sudden death at that it will be sudden death if you don't get that brandy stop lesbia started to her feet i'll get it myself go and heat the water to bathe his wound she ran into the dining-room and procured the spirit while tim went to stoke up the kitchen fire lesbia forced george's teeth apart and poured the brandy wholesale down his throat the ardent liquor revived him and he opened his eyes with a faint sigh don't speak darling she whispered with a second kiss and then set to work chafing his limbs by the time tim appeared with a jug of boiling water the young man had quite recovered his senses and attempted to explain no said lesbia sharply you are too weak as yet bring a basin tim and a sponge we must bathe his head considering she had no practice lesbia performed her good samaritan task very dexterously and having sponged the wound a nasty jagged blow from some blunt instrument bound up her lover's head with that cleverness and tenderness which come from love when he had quite recovered save for a trifling weakness she made him lie down on the sofa and fed him with weak brandy and water tim meanwhile lighted the lamp and exhausted himself in guessing the reason for the condition of young walker it's that blessed crass moaned tim moving round like an unquiet ghost bad luck to the same didn't i say it would bring trouble you did tim you did assented lesbia who was seated by the now recovered man and looking somewhat weary after her exertions but as george is comparatively well he can explain the cross is quite safe said walker faintly i left it at home oh my head how it aches no wonder when such a heavy blow was struck who struck it dear inquired lesbia i don't know george's voice was weary it's a long story drink some more of this said lesbia holding the glass to his pale lips and wait until you feel stronger oh i'm much better now he replied pushing the brandy and water away but i shan't be able to go to the office to-morrow morning begad it's to-morrow morning already said tim glancing at the clock half past twelve as i'm a sinner and here's miss lesbia and meself sitting up like the quality oh the soul of me what will the mather say what can he say demanded miss hale tartly father can't hold you and me accountable for the unexpected unexpected indeed breathed george who would have thought that i would have been struck down on the towing path i can't guess the reason lesbia it's beyond me the crass the crass muttered tim shaking his shaggy head what do you know about it demanded lesbia divil a thing but that it brings bad luck answered tim sturdily it is not altogether bad luck that george has been brought here for me to attend to him she retorted no dear walker patted her hand this accident shows me what an angel you are but how did i come here don't you know who brought you i know nothing from the time i was struck down on the towing path near medmanham until the moment i saw you standing in yonder doorway with a candle in your hand lesbia knitted her pretty brows i can't understand some enemy i have no enemies murmured george positively 
then it's a mystery declared the girl still more perplexed tell me exactly what took place walker passed his hand wearily across his forehead for his head ached considerably after leaving you with your father darling i rode back to medmenham and went home to the cottage my mother was not within as she had gone up to town early in the day and did not intend to return until tomorrow. "'That's today, begob,' interpolated Tim, again looking at the clock. "'Then it is today she returns,' said Walker, in a stronger voice, "'about three in the afternoon. "'But to continue, Lesbia, I had my dinner and smoked a pipe. "'Then I grew restless, wondering if you were having a bad time "'with your father on my account. "'I thought he would make things unpleasant for you.' and determined to come down and see what had happened. That was about ten o'clock. Lesbia patted his hand. You need not have trouble, dear. My father and I got on very well together. I did not know that, and so was anxious. I ferried over the river to the towing path, and walked down towards Marlow, intending to cross the bridge and come here. I was in bed at ten. So soon... I thought you might be sitting up. Well, I did not expect you, dear, explained the girl. As Tim was out on the river, and my father had gone away, I found it dull. I went to bed because I could think of nothing else to do. Then I fancied I heard you calling for help, and came down to find you gagged and bound. I did not call for help because I was gagged, said George, and almost insensible. I expect you were dreaming. "'A very serviceable dream,' said Lesbia dryly. "'Go on, George, darling.' "'About halfway between Medmenham and Marlow, "'while I was walking along in the moonlight, "'I heard a soft step behind me "'and turned to see a man almost on top of me. "'I had not even time to see what he was like, "'so quickly did he attack me. "'Aiming a blow at my head with a bludgeon, "'he struck me hard, and I fell insensible on the path. "'And then?' Then I woke to find you looking at me in this room. That's all. Lesbia examined her lover, searchingly. He wore white flannel trousers, a silk shirt, a white flannel coat, and brown shoes. His Panama hat was missing. Then Lesbia uttered an exclamation and pointed to his pockets. All these, both in coat and trousers, were turned inside out, and the buttons of his shirt were undone, as though he had been searched to the skin. "'It's robbery,' said Lesbia firmly. "'Robbery? Impossible! Why should anyone rob a pauper like me? I have nothing.' "'You have the cross,' murmured Tim, who was squatting on the floor and who looked like a goblin. "'Tim,' it was Lesbia who spoke, "'do you think Mr. Walker was attacked to get the amethyst cross?' "'Faith, then I can't say, miss.' But me mother, rest her soul, told me that the crafts brought bad luck, and it's come to Master Garge here. Maybe it's only talk, but there you are, and he pointed to the young man. Walker reflected for a moment or so, while Lesbia turned over Tim's explanation in her mind. I dare say he is right, said George pensively, and you also, Lesbia. I was rendered insensible so that I might be robbed, as is proved by my pockets being turned inside out. As the only article of value I possessed was the cross, and I only acquired that yesterday evening, I expect it was the cross this man was after. If so, 
he must be very much disappointed, for I left your gift in the drawer of my dressing-table before I came to see you at ten o'clock. What was the man like? I told you that I only caught a glimpse of him, said Walker fretfully, for the conversation wearied him. He seemed to be a tall man, and was roughly dressed. His soft hat was pulled over his eyes, and— and I know nothing more about him. Seeing that he was still weak, Lesbia stood up. You can lie here on the sofa and go to sleep, she said softly. Tomorrow morning we can talk. But I have to get to London by the eight o'clock train. The office. Bother the office, said Lesbia inelegantly. You are not fit to go to the office. Try to sleep. Tim, give me that rug you brought. There, dear, she tucked him in. I have left a glass of water beside you. Tim can come in every now and then to see how you are. Arr! groaned Tim, yawning. It's just as well, miss. I couldn't slap forty winks, with blue murder about. But the mather will come back after breakfast. And what will we say at all? At all? Say, snapped Lesbia, who was at the door, looking extremely weary. Tell the truth, of course. My father will quite approve of what we have done. George, don't talk to Tim, who is a chatterbox, but go to sleep. You need all you can get, poor boy. George, already nearly asleep, murmured an incoherent reply, and, leaving Tim to watch over him, Lesbia returned to her room, but not to sleep for at least an hour. Lying on her bed, she tried to fathom the mystery of this assault upon her unoffending lover. Apparently the cross had to do with the matter, as George had never been attacked before. And then, in a flash, the girl remembered that her father was desirous of regaining the ornament, and apparently, from the way in which he had talked, was prepared to go to great lengths to get it. Could it be that he had struck down her lover? He had been absent all the evening, and would be absent all the night, at Sergeant's Cook and Cottage, according to the message he had left with Tim. He did not like Walker, and moreover was tall, as the assailant had been. It really seemed as though Mr. Walter Hale had taken the law into his own hands, and, to get back his property, as he averred the cross to be, had committed something uncommonly like highway robbery. Lesbia worried over the problem half the night, as she could not believe that her father would act so basely. Finally, towards dawn, she fell into an uneasy sleep. It was ten o'clock when she woke, and at once her thoughts reverted to the late exciting event. No such sensational happening had ever before disturbed the quietness of the riverside cottage, and the mystery which environed it was an added fascination. As Lesbia slowly dressed, and in her prettiest frock for the sake of George, she again wondered if her father was connected with the assault and the attempted robbery. George could only have been attacked for the sake of the amethyst cross, and her father alone, so far as she knew, desired that cross. Yet, if Mr. Hale was guilty, why had he brought his victim into his own house? No one else could have brought George, for no one else could have entered. Lesbia had no great love for her father, since he invariably repelled all her proffers of affection. But she now felt that she could actively hate him, for his wickedness in so dealing with the man she loved. And yet, as she reflected when she descended the stairs, she could not be sure that her father was guilty, even in the face of such evidence. 
when lesbia entered the dining-room she found george quite his old self the night's rest had done him good and a cold bath had refreshed him greatly with tim's willing assistance he had made himself presentable and save for a linen bandage round his head looked much the same as he had done on the previous day he came forward swiftly with sparkling eyes and took lesbia in his arms murmuring soft and foolish words after the way of lovers even less romantic darling 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 how good you have been to me i could have done no less for any one replied lesbia leading him to a chair sit down dearest you are still weak on the contrary i am quite strong although my head still aches a trifle from that cowardly blow besides i am hungry and there is tim bringing in a magnificent breakfast sweetest and best he went on leading her to the well-spread table this is just as if we were married you at the top of the table and i at the bottom give me a cup of coffee lesbia and i'll serve out the eggs and ham tim you needn't wait tim grumbled a trifle as he loved to wait on lesbia but he was an irishman and appreciated a love affair it did not need much cleverness to see that young walker wished to be alone with his beloved if only to enjoy the unique situation tim therefore departed and the couple had their breakfast in heavenly solitude lesbia wished to talk about the adventure on the towing path and to ask questions but george positively refused to speak of anything save the most frivolous matters your father will return soon he explained passing his cup for more coffee and then i shall have to tell my story all over again let us talk about ourselves and of our future lesbia after a faint resistance was only too pleased to obey so they had an extremely pleasant meal the room was cheerful with the summer sun which poured in floods of light and warmth through the windows and the feeling of spring was still in the air most prosaically they enjoyed their food and unromantically ate a large breakfast but all the time they kept looking at one another and relishing the novel situation it was brought to an end only too speedily by the sudden entrance of mr hale tall lean cold and stern he appeared on the threshold and stared in surprise at the way in which young walker was taking possession not only of his house but of his daughter what the devil does this mean asked hale politely indignant look at george's head cried lesbia with a shiver for her doubts returned fortyfold at the sight of her aristocratic father that explains nothing said hale dryly perhaps mr walker you will undertake to tell me how it comes that i find you making yourself at home in my poor abode george who was perfectly cool and collected told his story hale listened much more discomposed than he chose to appear and at the conclusion of the narrative asked one question which showed where his thoughts were the cross he said eagerly have you been robbed of the cross no answered walker positively although i believe that i was attacked for the sake of it but luckily i left it in the drawer of my dressing-table can you guess who attacked me no said hale coolly i cannot still if you know about the cross i only know that it belonged to my wife and that i want to get it back as soon as possible lesbia should never have given it to you as to your being attacked so that you might be robbed of it i can't believe that story the cross as a jewel is not so very valuable besides no one but myself and lesbia and tim knew that you had it 
I presume, ended Hale, in his most sarcastic manner, that you do not suspect any one of us three. Oh, no, rejoined Walker promptly, and spoke as he believed in spite of the troubled look which Lesbia cast on him. Still, Hale threw up his hand to interrupt. We can talk of your adventure later, Mr. Walker. After all, the cross may have something to do with the way in which you were assaulted, although, as I said, it appears unlikely. I want to recover it immediately, and am the more eager now that I have heard of your adventure. Give me a note to your mother saying that the cross is to be given to me, and I shall consent to your marriage with Lesbia. George looked at the girl, who nodded. Let my father have back the cross, since he so greatly desires it, she said. I can give you something else, dear. I am willing to pay that price for my father's consent. George shrugged his shoulders. It is immaterial to me, he said calmly. So long as you are pleased, dear. I only wish to keep the ornament as your first love gift to me. Have you a pencil, Mr. Hale? Thank you. He scribbled a note. To Jenny, our maidservant, he explained, when handing it to the tall, silent man. She will admit you into my bedroom, and you will find the cross in the right-hand drawer of my dressing-table. But your mother? My mother went to London yesterday, and will not be back until three o'clock today. If you'd like to wait, I can go over with you later. No, said Hale brusquely. Your mother might make objections. I know how difficult she is to deal with. I'll go myself. You stay here with Lesbia. George was nothing loath, but when Mr. Hale departed, he walked with his beloved into the garden. They should have talked of the adventure, and Lesbia should have told George the thought that was uppermost in her mind, namely, that her father was cognizant of the assault. But she did not care to make such an accusation upon insufficient grounds, and moreover hesitated to accuse her father of such a crime. She therefore willingly agreed to postpone all talk of the adventure until Mr. Hale's return, and surrendered herself to the pleasure of the moment. The lover spent a long morning in the Garden of Love, gathering the rosebuds which Herrick recommends should be called in youth. Time flew by on golden wings, and Hale was no sooner gone all the way to Medmanham than he seemed to come back. He could not have been away for more than five minutes, as it appeared to these two enthralled by love. For them, time had no existence. But their dream of love fled when Hale came swiftly down the path, looking both angry and alarmed, and, indeed, perplexed. The cross has gone, he said. Impossible, cried George, starting to his feet, astonished. I left it. The cross has gone, repeated Hale decisively. Your cottage has been robbed, burgled. I repeat, the cross has gone. End of chapter 3 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen Gilbert, Arizona